If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Joshua has been in Hosea, so I thought, what book is the least like Hosea? Let's go to that one. It's not what I thought. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, I think has a reminder that is always important for us as churches. And I've preached this passage before. It's been several years now. But I always title the message, straight words from the text, of first importance. And I think when we have things on our mind, maybe outside of here, maybe it's not just Joshua and his family, maybe you have lots going on that's distracting you, that you can't focus on the words you're singing, you can't focus on the Lord this morning. And I hope the word of God this morning will bring us all back to what is of first importance, so that as we deal with other things that may be of some importance, we will see them through the lens of hope that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. I'm going to read out loud. You can follow along silently. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believe. This is the word of God. Now this is Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. So he's writing to a church. Technically, by the way, for some of you really into history people, this was probably his second letter to them because he references another letter that we don't have. This is the one, the first one that we count as scripture, though, that has always been counted by the church as scripture. Um, It's important to know a little bit about Corinth, but we won't spend a ton of time here. Corinth um, was a pagan city. There were many religions. Immorality was rampant, all kinds of immorality. If you've read 1 Corinthians before, you know this letter addresses all kinds of stuff, some stuff that's not even good to talk about in public, right? Corinth was messed up. And quite frankly, Corinth was a lot like maybe Charleston in 2020. Paul started this church. We see that story in Acts chapter 18. But here in chapter 15, late in the book of 1 Corinthians, this this is a book that talks about um, the use of spiritual gifts. It talks about sin in the church. It talks about all kinds of stuff. There's so many things you may pull on. You may have a favorite memory verse from this passage, from this book. But here in chapter 15, it kind of builds to a crescendo. Everything Paul's been telling the church comes back to this one thing. Paul begins to talk about the resurrection and what that means for our future resurrections, he begins with something absolutely essential. 
He tells them that the gospel is of first importance. Now, when I say the word gospel, what do you think of? Because for a lot of people, that can mean lots of different things. Gospel may be a a style of music. Gospel may be just the individual life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and people who respond. Gospel may be a more grand story of all that God has done from eternity to eternity to bring about salvation for his people, the creation, fall, redemption, recreation. That word may mean lots of different things for you. Sometimes people use it as just saying something's the truth. Someone tells a true story, they say, well, that's just gospel right there. We use this word so many different ways, but here, as Paul uses it, what's great is he's going to define it for us. And he's going to focus it on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul is not doing in this passage is saying, this is the only thing that matters. That's not what first importance means. It simply means the gospel is primary. Okay? So if you have something that you're really passionate about, you say, well, aren't we supposed to take care of orphans and widows? Yes! That is a very important thing for the church to do. But even that falls secondary to our believing and sharing the gospel with the world. We do that as we go. There are lots of good things the church should be doing, but the gospel is the one thing that leads all those other things, okay? So Paul reminds the church of Corinth, starting in verse 1 of this passage, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the... Leading songs and everything, I'm glad this thing's back on. Again, that is not our tech team's fault. That's mine. We are talking about the gospel. What's crazy? We're right in verse 1, so we'll pick right back up. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. The first thing we're going to see about this gospel that Paul is reminding them of is that it is the abiding gospel. The abiding gospel. And we really see that in verses 1 and 2. Because he says, it's the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Do you see what's happening there? That covers past, present, and future. If you are here, and when I said the word gospel earlier in this sermon, and I said, what does that mean to you? You said, well, that's just how somebody becomes a Christian. That's not untrue, but it's not the whole story either. Because the gospel is for Christians too. We need it. Now notice, it, he even says, The gospel which you received. So there is a past element. When the gospel went forward, and many of you here today repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, you're made new by the power of the Spirit. You have new life in Him. Certainly there's a past element of something that you heard and received. There's also a current element. Notice what it says. In which you stand. In which we stand. 
that's really important in what's been a really crazy year. Now I get another year of your life may have been a harder year. We, somebody has a hard year every year. But in 2020, it seems like more people are having a hard year than normal. We notice this? We still have the gospel in which we stand. It's the lens through which we see all the tragedy. It keeps us from falling ultimately into despair or despondency because we have hope now and forever because we know a God who loves us and cares about us and who doesn't abandon us. He is faithful even when we are faithless. This is the gospel in which we stand. Notice he says after that, and by which you are being saved. Technically, this is present and future because we're being saved now and we will be saved. But I think it applies past, present, future. I really think that's probably what Paul is trying to get at here. And what he's trying to get to us is the same gospel message that will save us and justify us when we believe. The same gospel that sustains us today is the same gospel that will save us when we stand before a holy God. As sinners who can only say, Christ is my righteousness. Now, so many of you who are here today, you believe this gospel. You already know Jesus through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You've trusted in him as Savior and Lord. But if you're here today and you, and you don't know about Jesus, or you say, well, of course I know about Jesus, but maybe you're not sure about him. There are a lot of people that way. I'm glad you're here. I think you're here by um, divine appointment, personally. <laughs> because this is good news for you, too. Because today, you can trust in Jesus Christ. Today, this can be the gospel you receive and begin to stand in so that one day you will be saved in this gospel. I love how Paul continues. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. I love that phrase, hold fast. Hold fast. Isn't that great? Um, some of you may have, may have heard this weekend, some of you may not know who this person is, but a South Carolina native, Chadwick Bozeman, tragically passed away this weekend. He's an actor and actually was a Christian, part of a Baptist church um, in Anderson, South Carolina. Um, and he was in the Marvel movie Black Panther, which there are probably some big Marvel fans in the house, and you probably know way more about the movies than me. That's cool. I just liked the movie. thought it was fun. Black Panther, though, has a chant that he says right before he goes into battle, and I'm not going to try to say it because it's a foreign word to me. But do you know what it means? Hold fast. Hold fast. If that isn't a word for us, if we couldn't just park right here in August 2020, then I don't, I don't know what a word for us is. Y'all, I don't know what you're afraid of with political headlines or with protests or riots or violence. But I promise in the gospel there is hope and we can hold fast. By which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Are you holding fast to the word? Or have you been disconnected from the word of God? I hope we're holding fast. I think by his power, we can hold fast. So we see here that this is the abiding gospel. I think we also see in Paul's writings that this is the unchanging gospel. We see this in verses 3 through 8, the unchanging gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's right there. Notice what he's saying. We're drawing out this first importance again, but he's saying, I gave to you what I received, not what I made up. Not what Paul and the apostles agreed on should be taught. He says, I received this too and I pass it on. This is exactly what we're supposed to do, church. I have so many people who say, 
Pastor, I, I don't know what God wants for my life. I don't know what his will is for my life. And I tell them, he wants you to be holy and he wants you to make disciples. Yeah, but I don't know where he wants me to do that. I don't know who he wants me to marry. I don't know um, if he, how many kids he wants me to have. I don't know what job he wants me to work. I don't either. But he wants you to be holy and he wants you to make disciples. We'll figure the rest of that stuff out. When you get that baseline of we exist to glorify and enjoy God, we suddenly have a better frame of mind to work the rest of that stuff out. I bring that up because if you're here today and you're hearing the gospel, if you're here today and you have believed the gospel at some time in the past, who have you been passing it on to? Have you been passing it on? If we can say, yes, it's of first importance, amen, pastor, I agree, have we been discipling others? Have we been sharing this with our friends who don't know the Lord? And not just wagging our Bible at them or wagging our finger at them, but lovingly and compassionately saying, listen to this hope that I have. We're supposed to pass this on. We don't just receive the gospel for ourselves. We receive it to glorify God and passing it on to others. And that's exactly what Paul did. He took this unchanging gospel, and this is how he describes it, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you're ever not sure how to kind of summarize the basics of the gospel, here you go. Life, death, burial, and resurrection. Do you know in every sermon I preach, there's somewhere in my notes that says LDBR? It's to make sure that I preach the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ every time I'm in the pulpit, because otherwise, what are we preaching? If Jesus is still dead, let's go home. Paul is going to say that later in this same chapter. But I got good news. He's not. He got up on the third day. He's standing at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for us. And one day he is coming back. Which means in the meantime, we've got a message to tell. That we have a risen Savior. You can see the pattern of life, death, and resurrection here. Now, you may say, it doesn't say life. When it says that Christ, it immediately assumes his life. Right? Because he is the Messiah. He was the anointed one, the promised one of all the Old Testament. All of the writings of Moses and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. Nothing has helped my faith more than reading passages that were written more than a thousand years before Jesus' birth that perfectly described events that happened in his life and down to details of his clothes being sold at the cross and things like that. Read your Old Testament and see that it points us to Christ and his life, his sinless life. Did you know that Jesus lived completely perfectly as we were supposed to? As none of us have? Think about this, y'all. Jesus never did a sinful action. He never spoke a sinful word. He never thought a sinful thought. Some of you are like, I just drove across Charleston to get here. I've already thought plenty of sinful thoughts this morning. Yes, and that is why we need a perfect Savior. One who is perfectly without sin, a spotless lamb. And he's not a myth. He lived on this earth. He walked on this earth. I love in uh, Luke chapter 1, he tells us that he's writing that you may have certainty. Similarly, John in, in chapter 20 um, says these are written so that you may believe. The Gospels weren't collected to just be stories to encourage us or to pair with other religions. They were collected as accounts of what happened with this God-man, Jesus Christ. 
Now, after his perfect life, he willingly went to the cross for us. There in the passage, it says that Christ died. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, Jesus Christ willingly went to a terrible, horrible death for sinners like you and me. For all who will repent of their sin and trust in him. And it wasn't just the physical excruciating pain of being beaten, of being spit upon, of being nailed to wood and hung up to drown his own blood. It wasn't just that. He bore the wrath of the triune God for our sin. Willingly. He took it on himself. Yes, he prayed to the Father in Gethsemane. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But in the end, he drank the cup whole so that we wouldn't have to. Notice it says, he died for our sins. Hey, if you didn't know, we're all sinners. I've actually learned in sharing the gospel with people, a lot of times people who aren't believers, and maybe if you're here today, you're not a Christian, maybe you would affirm this. Usually I don't have a hard time getting people to admit that they're not perfect. Usually people are like, yeah, I've done some bad things. Yeah, me too. But praise God, Jesus died for our sins. I love the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. Every one of my sins was nailed to the cross. Isn't that what we sang last week when we sang, it is well with my soul? My sin, not in part, but the whole, is what we sang. It's nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Now, there's an odd phrase thrown in here. It says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Why does it say that? Paul's trying to show, again, that this is the gospel he received. This is the unchanging gospel. This is the one that was preached in the Old Testament. This has always been the story that the Lord was going to save people through the seed of Eve. Okay, go all the way back to Genesis 3. There's a promised seed that's going to deal with the serpent. This is him. He's the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy. He's the better king than David. This Jesus is the one in accordance with all scriptures. If you say, there's no way that those old writings said anything about Jesus thousands of years before, go read Isaiah 53. Go read it one day. And think about how far apart it was from Jesus' life and how incredible of an account it is of his death for his people. I encourage you to do that if you doubt this. Paul wanted us to see this is the gospel that's always been and it's the gospel that always will be. It's the unchanging gospel. Notice it says in verse 4 that he was buried. This is an important little tidbit when we talk about the gospel because yes, he died on the cross, but him being buried shows that Jesus was actually dead. Okay? He was 100% God, 100% man. As a man, he died and was buried. Didn't go to sleep, didn't take a nap didn't take some mystery drug or something that made his heart slow way down. I have read some crazy conspiracy theories about this, y'all. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Trust me, Rome was really good at executing people, okay? He didn't get off that cross as like some miracle, oh, he happened to make it. Nope, not happening. He was dead, actually died. And then on the third day, he rose again. He got up from the grave. 
Now, some of you know that my dad's a pastor. Some of you don't know that, so now you do. So I grew up going to funerals. It's a normal part of life for me. We went, we went to funerals all the time. I have been to more funerals than I can remember. I've yet to go to one where somebody got out of the casket. I do think if you keep reading 1 Corinthians 15, one day we'll all be resurrected like Jesus. But I'm telling you all, if I had seen that, I would be telling you. You'd have heard about it already. I'd have written a book. I'd have been on the news. And then a month later, you'd have all written me off as somebody crazy. But I'm telling you, it's a big deal if somebody gets up from the grave. And it's a big deal that Jesus did. A lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus is just such a good person. He was just such a good teacher. No, forget all that, y'all. There's a reason our calendars are set to this person. Okay? There's a reason he shifted all of history. And it's because he got up from the grave. What you believe or don't believe about Jesus' resurrection is probably that core one hinge that you've got to get. Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if we don't believe that, then like I said, let's go home. It's Sunday. Let's go take naps. I'm all about a Sunday nap. In a few weeks, they might have some football on. I don't know. Whatever you want to do with your Sunday, if you like to go out on the water, whatever your thing is. But the fact is, he did get up. And that's why we meet on Sundays. You may not know that. The Hebrew Sabbath is on Saturdays. Christians started meeting on Sundays to remember every week Jesus got up from the grave. Now, they got up at uh, sunrise. So next week we'll have service at sunrise, and we'll see how many of you come. That was a joke. If you come at sunrise, I will not be here. Jesus rose from the grave. Notice again, he says, in accordance with the scriptures, once again saying this unchanging gospel. And then there were witnesses, verses 5 through 8, lists Cephas, the 12, more than 500 brothers, James, all the apostles, and Paul himself. Why does he take so much time to list so many witnesses? Because he wanted them to go ask him. He tells them about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's like, if you don't believe me, I got more than 500 people who saw him. Go talk to him. How many people would it take for you to be convinced? I've heard so many people say, well, if God would just show me something. It reminds me of the parable. If you would just send somebody back from the dead, they would know. And Jesus says, even if they saw somebody from the dead, they won't believe. Jesus came back from the dead. Many people saw him. This is not a fictitious story. He did not just rise in our hearts or theoretically. He rose physically from the grave and people could touch him. But he was raised with a new resurrected body that will live forever and apparently can appear in locked rooms, John tells us. This is the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ. His life, death, burial, and resurrection. Paul continues, but now he's going to talk about the transforming gospel. The transforming gospel. Verses 9 through 11. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. If you're unfamiliar with Paul, in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that Paul was on his way to Damascus. Do you know what he was doing? Quote, Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, imagine for a second that I said, hey, I know this person who really hates Christians, trying to kill them, trying to take them to jail. I need you to go share the gospel with them because God's going to save that person today. Who's signing up? 
I got a couple in here who I think would, and I love y'all for that. But a lot of us are at least going to say, are you sure about that? I don't know. But you see, something happened to Paul. Look what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By grace, God saved Paul. God transformed his life. Jesus cuts him off on the road to Damascus and tells him he's his servant now. Paul submits and gladly goes. And that testimony is shared multiple times in the book of Acts, by the way, all the way through, because it was so pivotal for the people. They knew this Saul who persecuted the church, and people were terrified of him. But suddenly he's saved. Suddenly he's not just saved, but he's bold, and he's preaching this message. He's, he's passing on what he's heard. What's beautiful is if you are a Christian or if you accept Jesus today as your Savior and Lord, then our testimony can be just like Paul's. Because our testimony is, is just like that in Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Have y'all ever noticed that gospel means good news and the first part of the gospel isn't really great news? We're all sinners and we're all doomed before a holy God. Not great news, but truth, myself included. Because of our sin, before a God who is good and holy, we have no right to stand with any confidence. Listen to this, though, as Ephesians continues. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you haven't read Ephesians 2 in a while, you should go back and read that sometime this week. Because if you're a Christian, that's your testimony. And if you're not sure if it's your testimony, then I'm not sure you know Jesus the way that Paul knew Jesus, the way he calls us to know Jesus. Notice what Paul says there at the end, verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. I love that he says whether it was I or they. Kind of fitting today. Joshua was scheduled to preach today till about 10 minutes before we started service. But it's not important who preaches the gospel. It's important that the gospel is preached. It's important that the word of God goes forward to the world and to Christians to encourage us and to embolden us, to comfort us, to help us hold fast 
So we preached. And so we believed. One note on that word believed. Did you know the word believe in the text in Greek is actually the same word as faith? It's the same root as faith. We in English, we don't have a verb form of faith. You don't say you were faithing in that person. We don't say that. So we use the word believe, but I think sometimes we might miss the weight of that word when we say believe, because to believe something exists isn't what we're calling people to do. I'm not just asking you to believe that Jesus exists. Demons believe that. What we're asking when we ask for faith is a deep trust and reliance upon Jesus. It is a throwing ourselves upon him and saying, I have nothing of my own. As the hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. That's our testimony. If you have heard and believed the gospel, then that is what we say. I take nothing with me before God, but I cling to my Savior who has loved me and has lived and died in my place and has rose again from the grave. He's alive now. Now, Paul here, after saying so much in 1 Corinthians, is calling the church back to this first importance of this gospel. And just some general applications for us is that a church that prioritizes the gospel as of first importance is going to find some good things. A church that prioritizes the gospel as of first importance, one, is going to find encouragement and hope. We're going to find encouragement and hope. It's the abiding gospel, which is what gives us hope for today and hope for tomorrow and hope forever. I know a lot of people here have told me your favorite song is Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. That's the essence of this hope. I've said before, I don't know how people make it through this world without Jesus. If you're here and you don't know him, I pray that you would today. I don't want to force you into any kind of emotional decision, but I want you to know the hope that you can know in our Savior. You can repent and believe today. A church that prioritizes the gospel of first importance will also find truth and stability. Because this is the unchanging gospel, it holds true. You ever watch TV and wonder what's true? A little too much? I got a little bit too much of a response from that, sadly. The gospel is true. Jesus doesn't say I'm a way, a truth, a life. He says he's the way, the truth, the life. There's one truth, and it's stable, and it's steady. And I know I quote lots of songs, but you know, I'm leading songs and stuff, so they've been on my brain, but we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. We find stability in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The other thing it gives us is meaning and mission. Meaning and mission. Because the gospel is a transforming gospel, we find meaning for our lives. We find purpose. We know why we were made. We know why we exist. We know what the end is going to bring for this world. It's not a mystery to us. We don't know when or exact details about it, but we know it's coming. And we know it's going to be a glorious day for all of God's people. It also gives us a mission. That we have something to do until Jesus returns or we go to be with him. Brother or sister, 
Christians, if you have air in your lungs, God's not done with you. He's not done with you. He's going to continue to conform you to the image of his son, and he wants you to be on mission. There are people that you see probably every day that you need to get the gospel to. There are people who look up to you that you need to teach how to follow Jesus. It doesn't have to be a new program at the church or a new class. It can be you hanging out with them, reading scripture together, praying together, talking about the things of life with the gospel in mind. In closing, if you came here today and you said, man, I'm just going to church because my friend's dragging me or I'm going with family. I really don't even want to be awake. First of all, I want to thank you for being here. And second of all, I want you to know that you can trust Jesus Christ today. He is good and faithful and true. He gives hope to the hopeless. He brings life to the dead. And I don't just know this from a book. I know this for myself. And you can know him today. But if you came here today as a believer, some of you as long-time believers, I remind you of the encouragement Hope, truth, stability, meaning, and mission that we find in the abiding, unchanging, transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Is your soul at rest in Jesus? On this Christian Sabbath, our, our Sundays, are you able to rest in Him and know that ultimately things are going to be better than okay? Things are going to be glorious. And there will be immeasurable joy and mercy and grace. Do you know that? Do you remember that today? I pray that transforms our hearts and we carry it with us as we go. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this reminder of what is of first importance in your church. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for good news in a town where that's hard to find. And Father, we thank you for the reminder it is of your love and your mercy and your grace. Help us to cast our anxieties on you today, God. Help us to rest in you. Not just so that we feel better, but so that we will go forward enjoying your presence and telling others about who you are and what you've done for us through Jesus. We pray that this reminder of the gospel today, this reminder that it's not about who's preaching, but what is being preached, that we will all go forward in boldness, encouraged to tell people this good news for a world that's longing for it. We pray there will be fruit in our own lives and in the lives of others because of your word that's gone forth today. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love, God. In Jesus' name, amen.